passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Postmarks, a podcast where we talk to listeners of the post-wrestling community. We are here on our two-year anniversary, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bruce Lord. Hello, Bruce. Hello, David. Yes, indeed. It has been two years since you just DM'd me out of the blue, just cold-called me basically and said, hey, do you want to start interviewing? members of the post-wrestling community, and I'm so glad I replied and said yes, because now, on the illustrious occasion of two years of Postmarks, we get to speak to our guest this month. If you're listening to this podcast, you know and love this man. He is the godfather. He kept it 2000. He reviewed Impact. Hell, he reviewed America. He is a king of sport. He's the head usher at the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. He's one-third of the Nubian Wrestling Advocates, not to mention a close personal friend of Braxton Witherspoon and the Smart Marks. It is my privilege and honor to at long last welcome to Postmarks, the one and only Nate Milton. Nate, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Uh, Nate from Norfolk on line one, a uh, long time, first time. <laughs> uh, I, I'm really happy to be here, guys. I hope I don't embarrass myself too much. Uh, uh, but no, thank you. Thank you for having me, boys. Uh, I, again, you know, all jokes aside, this is one of the extended uh, law podcasts that I law podcast. See, we're already starting off in the past, but we're going <laughs> to circle around to the future and then get back to the present because that's how we roll here on Postmarks. But, uh, you know, the Post family and the extended shows. And so you guys are definitely one of the shows that I check out uh, on a regular basis to hear all of my cousins in this community and brothers and sisters uh, talk about their life and, and how they came to, uh, you know, join this family. Uh, but but I, I do say, you know, we are a family here, and, and sometimes families have different disagreements. Uh, as Major Payne once said, sometimes families break up. Don't you watch Oprah? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I can't remember which one of you two fine gentlemen it is that, uh, that, that, that would besmirch and, 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 and downplay the royal kingdom of Wakanda. Which one of you is it, gentlemen? Oh, I, th- I I think I may have uh, I think I may have done that on occasion. It is David. You can you can come after me. Although, <laughs> <Wait. laughs> yes. Yeah, very- so, so here's the thing. So let me let me give you a little backstory on this, David. So um, some folks know, like my schedule is so crazy. You know, like I work 40, 50 hours a week at the day job. I'm podcasting or you know broadcasting. I work for the uh, school. Uh, television channel down here in Newport News. And so like 15, 20 hours a week, I'm doing that. So that's like eats up a lot of my time. And so I just had a birthday. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid 40s now officially. So I'm trying to maintain, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be out here looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, fellas, but I'm at least trying to maintain what I got. And so what I will do to maximize the small amount of time I do have, uh, I will work out and listen to podcasts at the same time. Uh, sometimes I'll work out, listen to podcasts, and drink while I'm on the exercise bike. Because also, like, I'm, I'm going to drink anyway, David. I'm going to drink anyway, Bruce. Uh, 
but why not put that hour of drinking into that hour and a half of exercise and somehow in the mix it all works out and so one night I was listening to one of the Postmarks episodes and David said something about, I, I think you, it might've been when you were talking to Brent Chittenden. Uh, right. You know, we, we all love Brent uh, and he, the, the, the chief geek uh, amongst uh, the Postmarks. And you were talking about the MCU. And I think David said something to the effect of either I don't like Black Panther or it didn't, you know, do much for me or something to that effect. And oh. I, it, 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 it did. I've, to be fair, I feel this about 90% of the Marvel <laughs> movies, but I definitely feel that I saw Black Panther and I just didn't, I didn't get it. I yeah, didn't, sir, I almost fell off of my exercise bike. I felt oh. be- I felt betrayed, much like Wakabi when T'Challa did not bring Claw's body back to Wakanda. I felt like David had stabbed me in the heart with a vibranium spear <laughs> when I heard that. Well, two things I'll say. One, I told Bruce I was so excited to have you. I'm going to get into why I'm excited to talk to you. But two, you're talking to the guy who walked out of Doctor Strange and the Multi-Universe of Madness. You're talking to the guy who, because he loved the Guardians of the Galaxy 1, hated Guardians of the Galaxy 2, um, Mm. said, I'm going to go give Guardians 3 a chance, wanted to walk out with an hour left in the movie, but stayed hoping there would be one redemptive element. And I walked out of that movie one hour later and said, I just wasted one hour of my life by not following my gut instinct. So the Marvel universe and I, we might be arch rivals. We might be David or Jermaine from Chicago. Who am I talking to right now? (laughs) Jermaine's going to be a future guest. So we're going to get, we're just going to hate on every, actually I'd like Roman Reigns. So show Um, us on the podcast where the MCU touched you, David. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I was into I was into Avengers Endgame Part 1. Part mm-hmm. 2, I also wish I had left a little early. Um, I was wow. into WandaVision. So I think the the really the really remarkable thing would be to have me on an MCU podcast mm. and like force me to watch one of these <laughs> things and then comment on it. That's the real audio. Um, it's, it's alongside like getting WH to review Raw, having David yeah. on an MCU later yeah, episode. Yeah. See, I, I know that it's not really my thing, and I just check in like once a year with like the one movie or whatever, whether it's Thor Ragnarok or the first Black Panther, that I'm like, okay, enough people that I trust are on mm. board with this one. Fine. I'll, Marvel gets my, you know, two hours of my attention per year or something like that. And that's, that's what I'll grant them. I really like Black Panther for whatever that's worth. I haven't seen the second one yet. Oh my well, goodness. This is not the beginning that I yeah. don't think any of us had anticipated. This is what happens, gentlemen, when you bring Nate Milton on your show. <laughs> as, as Kate from Montreal would tell you, we are already in Tangent Town. We're taking detours. Is- we're taking the scenic route. It is the multiverse of madness right here live on Post Wrestling. <laughs> but I will say... I'm very excited to do this podcast because, Nate, I have probably, without exaggeration, listened to at least over 100 hours. of. I, when you do the NWA podcast, you want to know who listens for every three hours and 30 <laughs> minutes? Me. It might sometimes take me two weeks of listening to all the podcasts together, but I'll keep that video open in my browser. It will slow down my browser time having that YouTube mm. video mid-progress. I love your content. I've heard all these pieces and snippets of your story, but never in one time. So I'm excited to hear them. But I also maybe I'm maybe I'm just being a little egotistical. But I also feel like there are probably some members of the post community like me who have heard those snippets, but we've never had the narrative Nate experience. Mm. So we're probably going to go on a lot of different tangents, and I'm going to let Bruce start. But I was excited to hear 
the story from beginning to end. Now we have an hour, so but based on the rate we're going so far, we're and still that, that was we're, your first mistake, boys. We're 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 seven minutes in, and we've just gotten into Marvel and introductions. So I don't know how far we're going to get in that hour. This really this hour two. of podcasting is going to feel like a Vince Russo episode of Nitro in two thousand. <laughs> the way we we just hitting them with that crash TV bookie. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let Bruce start. Yeah, you you got to keep the listeners engaged, right? Otherwise, you know, progressive narrative storytelling, developing a character from their birth through their first contact with wrestling, through developing tastes and you know, uh, love affairs with that man called Sting, all the way through mm. a, a tortured, tortured long term relationship with TNA. How can how can how can listeners actually track that sort of thing? But let's try, let's try to weave that sort of narrative, that larger picture uh, of of the man we all know, at least somewhat uh, know. Uh, and and Nate, if you could maybe start us off. Uh, by sort of some early memories or early points of contact with wrestling as it relates to friends, family, other kind of memories at that particular age. What drew you to it? First initial memories, matches, characters, wrestlers, whatever it might be. I think as any, you know, red-blooded American boy uh, or even girl, but particularly, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, red-blooded American boy watching wrestling that was the thing you know that was the thing we talked about at the playground that was the thing we talked about at lunchtime if it wasn't sports or mtv it was wrestling and you know growing up in virginia i was born in atlanta georgia and my family uh, my dad's in the na- was in the navy so we moved around a lot and so wrestling was kind of one of those things that wherever i was that was a piece of home hmm. um my mom is uh from texas so she grew up a huge wrestling fan and I want to say it wasn't until I was around nine or 10 that we kind of like, oh, you like this? You like this? Uh, You know, she grew up watching the Von Erics, the Funks, RIP to that good brother, Terry Funk. Uh, She watched that. And so that was one thing when I'd come home from school and did my homework or whatever, you know, we would watch an hour of wrestling uh, because ESPN would show uh, the old stuff from world class. Mm. on ESPN Classic. So we would watch that and then I'd go out there and you know play with my friends. Uh but wrestling was that thing and to me growing up in the south, my brand was always anything but the WWF. Mm-hmm. It was Jim Crockett, it was NWA, it was WCW, it was World Class, it was Memphis, it was Smoky Mountain wrestling for God's sake, you know? Uh like ECW, like I liked the underdog, I liked the alternative, but it also particularly when you talk about WCW or the NWA, it felt more real than you, you, you got Terry out here on these streets uh, that, that, you know, was fighting all these cartoon characters. But I still watch WWF because, I mean, come on, everybody watched WWF back then. Uh, but WCW, there was something about it, man. And as you as you alluded to, man, Sting easily was one of those dudes that jumped off the screen for me. Uh, the Midnight Express was one of my favorite teams back in the day. And then, of course, since it's me, like anytime there was a black wrestler that they gave shine to, like for a period of time, whether it was Ranger Ross or uh, Two Cold Scorpio or, you know, when we, we when we finally got like Booker T mm. and Harlem Heat. And like those were my guys because I could see a little bit of myself in these performers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's uh- fascinating that you would not only be i mean it makes sense in terms of the region you know that you'd be getting that many territories and obviously crockett and and and, and nwa and whatnot but also having access to kind of archival stuff you know kind of going back to that earlier period of world class i mean i so so we kind of often have this you know thing of 
you know, kids kind of growing up and watching this stuff. And then, oh, eventually they discover the internet or somebody gives them an ECW tape or the King mm-hmm. of the Deathmatch tape or an All Japan tape. And it goes on from there. But it sounds like you sort of already would have been as a kid and talking with friends or whatever about current events kind of have had a bit of a bigger picture of the preceding history going back, I don't know, 10, 15 years or something like that. Do you think that that sort of kind of like broader view of like kind of the different tones and timbers of wrestling and the the different ways that different territories could be? I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, how like I only ever had WWF and I didn't know anything else. I didn't know there was Mm. anything else. And so when you encounter a different brand or a different style of it or whatever, and if it conflicts with for better or for worse that understanding but it sounds like you sort of had a pretty holistic and pretty <laughs> widespread diet right from the get-go i mean wrestling is a microcosm of the rest of the things in my life so like when it comes to music i'll listen to everything from outcast to metallica to the beatles to you know some random atlanta neo soul singer that 90 percent of the audience hadn't heard of you know, I'm all over the place when it comes to my music. Same thing when it comes to sports. Like, I'm a sports nerd. I feel like everybody's a nerd about something. And sports, to me, was like the first thing I fell in love with. Baseball, in particular, was something I was super nerdy about. And so it just kind of followed me to wrestling, where I was the kid that when my mom would be like, you know what? You did a good job in school. Here's five bucks. Instead of buying candy like the other kids or you know, going to the movies, movies weren't five bucks uh, back then. I'm not that old, but you know, you see where I'm going, fellas. Uh, like I was the kid that would take my $5, go to the front of the grocery store, spend that little spinner rack of magazines and find me the after mags, mm. find me the pro wrestling illustrated, you know, find me the wrestler and, and just buy as many of those as I could for that $5 and just read them from cover to cover and go to the back section where they had the top 10 rankings of every promotion in the country. And I never heard of half of these people, David. But you know what? PY2 High is the number two ranked person in the Smoky Mountain region. I got to see this dude, PY2 High, a, a mysterious fighter from the Orient who just turned out to be some random white dude with, with stuff painted on him. It was the 90s. It was wild. Uh, but but that that's kind of how, how you know, I took to wrestling, Bruce. Like, if, if I'm going to be into something, same with MCU, right? Like, I watch everything for better or for worse with the MCU. If I'm going to get invested in something, I go all the way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm either hot or cold. There's no kind of in-between. And so I just wanted to find as much wrestling as I could when I was a kid, and it just kind of stuck with me. Well, I have a quick plug for any newer listeners. There is an episode of Way, Chris Ely, I believe, I'm mm-hmm. almost positive, and Nate doing reviewing Slam Jam, which was <laughs> oh, a yeah. CD and cassette tape that WCW put out in the 1990s of theme songs, which is probably one of my favorite hours hour and a half of post-wrestling content ever until you've heard waiting interpret the man called sting theme song you have not lived uh so i really it's a man called sting (laughs) the the funniest line and and here's the thing like i think everybody that i've podcasted with you know whether it's one time or a hundred times like with chris i find like little things i love about that person Chris might have got me with the funniest thing I've ever heard. And it took all of my composure not to just like be checked out for the rest of the show. When we were talking about the Ricky Steamboat theme song Mm. and one of the lines in the song is, you know, they talk about he's a family man. He's the guy that's good on the road. He doesn't cheat on his wife. He loves his son. And then the the course is like only wrestler who's not hard to understand. And the professor's like, 
that's too many damn words in this song for somebody who should be reasonably easy to understand. And I just, the way he said it, the way Chris gets like this righteous indignation, I was, I was done, fellas. That is, is an amazing podcast. It was wonderful. Although if we're talking about like the MCU, you know, Black Panther, Panther uh, slander and whatnot, the disrespect shown to the American males theme on that one mm. kind of that got my bristles up because boy, <laughs> howdy, do I love that to the point that I was almost an inch away from trying to get it uh, up for karaoke duty at Forbidden <laughs> Poor, but that did not end up happening. But uh, I, I did have one question. So we it's interesting because most people we have had a few people who their families were interested. Most were not. But you also mentioned that was the thing to do on the playground with all your mm-hmm. friends for me it was the opposite we've i think we talked about this in a previous episode that for me when i liked wrestling it was the nerdy thing and then i kind of fell out around the attitude era and when everyone loved it so did you did you get together at people's house to watch things like class of the champions i know this is before nitro yeah. and did and did that friend group stay together watching wrestling and did you stay watching wrestling through the peak boom period so when I was in high school, you're talking about kind of the downfall of the NWO. But like before that, like the two or three years before that, especially in Virginia, right? Like the NWO was everything. Goldberg was everything. Like those mm-hmm. dudes were rock stars, you know? And then when I get to uh, college, wrestling is kind of, eh, it, you know, it, it's not hitting the way it once hit. But they were still, you know, because I was working at the radio station at the time. That was where I could watch cable because I didn't have cable in my room. And me and my roommate had other things to pay for, like beer uh, and, and cigarettes. I smoked at the time. Uh, and they, those were more important than cable uh, for whatever reason in those days. And so I would go to the radio station, do my shift on air. And then my shift was supposed to end at like 8 o'clock. And I would just hang out. And they'd be like, you know, uh, you ain't going to go back. I'm like, no, man, I just want to, you know, check out uh, whoever's coming up next, man. You know, hear what they hear. That's that's how I can get better as a broadcaster, which was true. But the real reason, Bruce, was because I was going into the other studio and I was watching Monday Night Raw. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, watching uh, wrestling from college, I would say, shoot, for the most part, until recently has been a very solitary thing unlike it was when i was in high school mm-hmm. uh i had one really good friend that we would watch all the wrestlemanias together we would watch all the big pay-per-views together we you know we would go to events at the hampton coliseum or the norfolk scope uh you know unfortunately he's no longer with us uh but that was kind of like the last friend i had where we actually met up at each other's houses or we got a group of people together and went to a show and now it's it's a lot more solitary but it's also, I'm talking to them, uh, you know, a lot of people, whether it's, you know, it's online or on the podcast. So it's like the community is larger, but it's a lot more isolated. It's a weird mm. thing. Mm. You mentioned, and maybe this kind of relates to the experience, you know, of podcasting and whatnot. You mentioned one of the words there that I definitely wanted to talk to you about that about on this episode, and that's broadcasting. Um, uh, again, listeners do not need me to tell you that we're we're talking to a man with a golden voice uh, a, a man with a voice you know absolutely made for radio here uh to the point that uh, as i think i've mentioned a couple of times before uh my own podcast actually employed Nate Milton to do a little bit of voice work for us many many years ago uh to do a dramatic reading of some song lyrics for us which which Nate knocked out of the park um at what point does the possibility of doing some form of radio or television broadcasting 
come into the fold for you? I imagine it probably intersects at some point with your love of sports and wrestling and sort of thinking like, okay, yeah, that's a part of these mm-hmm. things is giving voice to sports and wrestling. Is that something that you were sort of, you know, shooting for, right? Was it was kind of sports or wrestling broadcasting at a young age? Yes. And then the reason I say that is, you know, because it's, it's something that uh, God wanted me to do, uh, David, something God wanted me to do, Bruce. And the reason I know that that's something God wanted me to do is because he also gave me this intense love of sports, but also made me like five, five and moderate, moderately athletic, like not even like the peak of my athletic career uh, was uh, I played one year of college baseball and I think I batted one twenty five. Had like 15 stolen bases, though. I was a good little oh, pinch hey, runner. All right. All right. I was a good yeah. pinch runner, uh, but that was the peak. And so, you know, when I was in uh, middle school, like I already knew, like I, I, I will play sports as long as I can, as long as people will let me on the team. Uh, but this is not going to be something I can make a living off of. But I want to be a part of this world. Mm-hmm. I know I don't want to be a physical trainer because that's too much uh too much study man i'm i'm not i don't want to go to medical school i don't know what the training re- regimen is for a physical trainer but i know it's something i didn't want to invest in i didn't really want to be a coach even though i have coached like some little league teams around my area but that seems the life of a coach is way too stressful for me fellas like i'm not that intense type a kind of dude like i i would get fired uh from a team just because i'm <laughs> like they're like Nate your team is not playing well like but they're happy though Mm-hmm. Ain't that the point? The kids is happy, man. So I, would I get just hope both teams have fun. Yes, both teams have fun, man. Both teams play hard. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I can talk. Uh, and my parents, again, you know, my my parents have kind of given. I don't think I still don't think to this day they understand like podcasting or you know some of the voiceover stuff I do. Uh, but I think they've always known like you know he has an aptitude for that. You know that brings him joy. Uh, so when I was when we were living in San Diego. Uh, I think I might have been 11 or 12 at the time. The Padres had this thing where you could like pay 50 bucks and go like call an inning or a half an inning. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they'd put you in your own little booth and then you'd, they'd have like stats and lineups and, and, you know, you'd watch the game and you'd call it. And at the end of the, at the end of uh, your inning, they would give you like a videotape uh, of your uh, broadcast. And so the Braves were playing the Padres. So the Braves are my team. Uh, moms and pops, you know, they they bought the tickets. We went there. They were like, um, you, don't you have somewhere to be? And I'm like, huh? We're watching the game. They're like, um, in the third inning, uh, you know, we signed you up to go do the broadcast thing. I was like, what? Oh, and man. so then I went there. If I listen back, to, I'm like, I don't even know where that tape is. It's probably, like, decomposed now, part of the earth. Uh, but I was probably, like, terrible. But, like, even in my terribleness, I loved being there, and I was, like, talking about Raphael Belliard and his helmet was too big for his head, which was <laughs> probably the reason why he was only batting 195 this season, and they, the Braves needed to adjust that. And it's like, I've, I fell in love with it. And so, again, you know, going to podcasting or voiceover work or, you know, I host, uh, I do freelance work. I've been doing that since the pandemic, uh, hosting uh, talk shows for a nonprofit organization out in Austin, Texas. Like, to me, if I can talk about something I love, and also, you know, sports, wrestling, MCU, whatever, and also use that topic to bring in some things that you might not be thinking about and some more heavier topics that we all kind of deal with in life, then, then I've done my job. If I can mm-hmm. make you laugh and I can make you think, then I've done my job. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Post has a lot of very talented broadcasters. I know I've talked about this before. I enjoy most of the times listening to Way and John review shows and 
watching most of the shows, but I will say you remind me of the Bobby Heenan of mm. the post wrestling community. You, sir, just have the gift of gab. I think it's something you were born for. I'm going to keep this crash TV style going because I don't want to forget this. We'll get back to everything else. One thing I want to discuss with you for years is politics. Mm. They, they usually come up in podcasts. You've done Review America talking about the election. I actually worked in politics. That's okay. how I first, that was the first time I was ever a guest on uh, any post show. Was, so I worked in the White House, but I'm a huge anti, I worked in the White House for George Bush. Mm-hmm. Throw whatever you want at the screen. Uh, but then I'm a huge <laughs> anti. throws a shoe, really? I'm, <laughs> well, if you're, in, if you're in Iraq, you throw in a George Bush. Um, so I, I left the Republic. I published this op-ed that went viral in 2016 that any mm-hmm. Republican who supports Trump is put, I don't want to get too into politics on the show, but it's an interest of mine. I've been across the political spectrum. What is exactly your background in politics? And why is that a passion for you that you that you have sought to brought, bring not only to wrestling podcasts, but then to pitch John Way, hey, I want to actually do a show that's mm. centered around this because I think that is something that makes Post unique. A lot of podcasts will run away from that because they don't want to a- alienate people. And I loved, hey, people can have a difference of opinion, but I just was interested more about your background and why that's a passion for you to bring into your work, even in non political commentary. Well, thank you. And first of all, like I want to give credit to John Way because I think, you know, the, the team takes on the tone and, and tenor of its coach. And John and Way have given a lot of us the freedom and the latitude. Uh, and they've been very gracious with the platform and let us talk about stuff that, you know, other, you know, wrestling shows or sports shows wouldn't talk about because, you know, it, it, you know it's a distraction. We just want to talk about, you know, what, what we watch on TV. But, and, and we've particularly seen it like the last four or five years. You can't talk about this stuff without talking about the real world surrounding these sports, surrounding these wrestling shows. And so for me, my politics have been all over the place a little bit too. You know, I, there was a point in my life where I actually was a a Republican. uh, And a lot of that had to do with, again, you know, my father was in the military. And so, you know, basically if, 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 if y'all gonna keep pops getting a check, I'm riding with y'all. Uh, then for, I'd say the longest stretch of my life, I was an independent because as Chuck D once said, neither party is mine, not the jackass or the elephant. Uh, you know, I, it's particularly, particularly as a black man, like I, I see the game, you know, I see both, both parties could be doing a whole lot better. Uh, but now I I'm, I'm a Democrat. And the reason I'm a Democrat is because I feel like Republicans and conservatism, like the, the whatever this new breed is, or maybe it's not a new breed, David, maybe it's a breed that was always a part of it. And it's now just kind of been exacerbated through the Trump era, but it's like, I can't be. And again, it's kind of like the conversation we had uh, during uh, black lives matter, you know, when that popped up, you know, during the pandemic, it's not enough just to be like, like, I'm not racist. Like I got to actively be like, nah, we have to be anti-racist. And so it was like, it wasn't enough for me, David, to not just be, you know, independent. You know, it was like, yeah, the Republican Party as figureheaded, as speared by Donald J. Trump is not a party that has the best interests of people in mind. And not just talking about black people, but like women, uh, LGBTQ community, you know, like poor white people, like 
the Republican Party Donald of Donald Trump does not give a damn about poor white people. And so to me, and you can tell, I, I get I get excited when I talk about stuff like this because part of podcasting, part of broadcasting for me is the conversation. Even if it's, you know, kind of a one-sided conversation where somebody is listening to me in their ears, there's a thought being sparked or there, you know, opinions that are being stirred up in them. And I want people to think different. I want people to realize that we can be better than we are right now. And, you know, I, I feel like our political situation right now, Bruce, is maybe as well, I'm not going to say it's as bad as it's ever been because I'm sure, uh, you know, there was once upon a time where people was just getting shot up on, on, on the Senate floor, you know, uh, but it's really bad right now. And we have to figure out a way to make things better. And I'm talking about everybody. And, and, and uh, so, yeah, that's a long way of saying, David, that like, I think a lot of what I talk about in terms of quote unquote politics is just life. You know, it's people earning a living wage. It's, you know, people being uh, free to be pulled over by the police and, you know, be able to drive away from that encounter. You know what I mean? And so I, 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 I again, man, I, I could talk about this all night, uh, but there's a through line, especially when you get me with Chris, <laughs> because, because with Chris, like right now I'm, I'm fired up, but with Chris, I'm the calm one. I'm, I'm Jordan to his Rodman. And so, like, when, when you get me and Chris, like, we did a show on the Kings of Sport Patreon leading up to the 2016, or no, 2020 uh, election, where we kind of ranked all the uh, candidates. Uh, and, like, Chris is just, that's his bag. You know, that's his bailiwick. That's, that's his wheelhouse. And so, when he and I get together, it's like Compton and Long Beach, man. You know you in trouble. <laughs> I I didn't I had a little note here in my notes about it. I wasn't sure if it was going to come up uh, or not. And I didn't want to be here, you know, kind of lobbing the grenade out as the like token Canadian, let alone the like person who probably hangs much further to the left than most folks within the most world. I don't know. Um, but what I did want to say to both of you, actually, uh, just kind of on the record or off the record, was that both of you at different times on podcasts and whatnot, have sort of intimated or talked a little bit about how and why your political views or your party affiliations or whatever have changed and the reasons for that. And to be frank, that's just something that doesn't really seem to happen much, or at least not in a sort of open or transparent way, at least as I sort of view American political discourse right now, it mm -hmm. seems as though a lot of people do sort of treat it as like, it's a sport. There's the red team and the blue team, and you just show up for your team and that's it. Or at least they expect it to sort of function in that sort of a way. Like, oh, I'm going to say this and you're going to have to defend Joe Biden about this. No, you, you don't have yeah. to do that. <laughs> so so I, I really like the fact that, you know, you guys have both talked about that. Uh, but also, Nate, uh, in particular, I thought, you know, as somebody in Canada who already had, you know, views about Donald Trump going into the election, um, in particular, in the Review America series, I thought you, you know, and Brian as well, but I thought especially you did such a wonderful job of sort of getting these getting the discussion of the election away from just the sort of, oh, the ground game, the tactical end of it, which is certainly interesting, and I'm interested in that, and the way that you were able to connect particular issues, particular debate topics, or, or whatever they might be, to a sense of, or a question rather, a discussion of decency, of humanity, of, of ethics, of, well, what are we actually talking about when we talk about you know, undocumented migration, or when we talk about guns, or, or this or that, or what, like, 
your the the ability that you had to sort of break those things out of what a lot of people view as being a purely political sort of discussion and speak of them in a very I, I think direct human and often you know kind of real uh sort of way I just thought was like yeah that's I I feel like that's sort of what that is so much more productive to me. At least I would say that that's more productive in terms of like having a conversation with your uncle at Thanksgiving that you disagree with or whatever. And how do you get that conversation going without it resulting, you know, in glassware being thrown around? Um, that's a difficult thing to do. And again, you know, if you're talking before about the reasons how and why you got into broadcasting, I think you're absolutely succeeding uh, by, by that measurement in those sorts of projects. Yeah, I think, you know, to me, it's all about having a good faith conversation, right? Like we don't have, whether we're talking sports, politics, wrestling, religion, you know, on, on the uh, show that I work with, uh, with the nonprofit in Austin, uh, the producer is an atheist and I'm somebody who's a Christian, been a Christian my whole life. My father was a Navy chaplain. My mother is not, has not only been a Lutheran minister, uh, but she is the newly elected Lutheran bishop for the state of Virginia. First mm. black woman, uh, first black person, well, first person of color and first female bishop mm. in the state of Virginia. And my father was like maybe only the fifth uh, uh, full-time uh, commissioned uh, Navy chaplain that was a black man. So, you know, I like they, the, the roots, the roots go deep, you know, in terms of, me and just the power of words and the power of empathy, right? Like I don't have to like you to empathize with something that you're going through. Cause we're all humans at the end of the day. And so to me, it's like, I want to have conversations like this and we can have conversations that are serious and, and have weight to them, but also I'm here for the funny too. Right? So I think there's a way to kind of combine all of that and leave the listener. If, even if they don't agree with you hundred percent, leave them in a place where they're better than they were before they push play where they're like, you know what? I don't agree with everything that guy said, but I'm thinking about some of the things that mm -hmm. he said, and that's a better place than they were before they started listening. And I think that's, that's the place that I wish the country would get to, but everybody is so deeply entrenched in their side that they, you know, there's no give and take. And I, I understand like when you feel like the other side is attacking you. And, and, you know, like, like, uh, you know, I think David and I, we were talking before we hit record, like just, I know it was you and me, Bruce, just kind of some of these racial issues that, that have been going on this past week in America. And it's like, if I feel like I'm being attacked, I don't really want to spend time talking to the attacker, but sometimes that's the only way that you can heal things is by having a conversation. And if that person doesn't want to listen, then that's on them. But at least you made a good faith attempt. Mm -hmm. I was going to say something very similar. As we were having this discussion, I said, oh, here's everyone who has a political, uh, different political viewpoint, probably turn this off. And maybe they already have turned it off, <laughs> but I wish they wouldn't because I think that's a really important thing. And I mean, the reason my column got published and got the attention it did in 2016 was I was, say, I was able to say, I'm a former West Wing staffer in the Bush mm -hmm. White House. Here's why I oppose Donald Trump. But then when Hillary Clinton comes out and the thing that gets leaked that anyone who votes for Trump is deplorable, mm -hmm. do I see why she said that? Yes, but that's not helpful. If, if the goal is to get someone to persuade someone and to get them to see another point of view, calling them deplorable is just going to turn people off. So it's very hard to have a conversation with well-meaning people because I think, as you said, Nate, people get so entrenched that 
politics has kind of become blood sport. It's them mm-hmm. versus us. And it's very hard to crack that divide and really have a conversation. Uh, and I do think there are elements in the Republican Party that are racist and hateful. And it's it's hard to have a good faith conversation with that. But I feel like that's probably yeah. not the the vast majority of people. Um, I won't say more, but I, I the, mm-hmm. you know, the part of me really hopes that's not the case. And so to really reach those people and have a conversation, I think is so important without demonizing people. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very interesting. That, and ho- hopefully we'll get off politics after this because many <laughs> other questions, but it does feel like in, in, in the post world, everyone does come from a similar view. And I'd be interested to hear someone who is, again, not hateful, but mm-hmm. well-intentioned and well-reasoned, call into a show and maybe disagree with something. I've I've had that actually discussion with Way about the Saudi shows because I see the positive of them. Even okay. before they let women on the card, I said, well, this is going to be a positive thing because, yes, even if the shows are bought, even if they're propaganda, mm-hmm. even if MBS is – not a pleasant individual. Maybe I definitely would not want to live under his rule. For a, for girls to either go to the show or they see on TV women wrestling, it's going to change. You know, it's going to change right. things. So even things that come from a negative motivation can sometimes lead to large, impactful, positive change. And I think it's nuances like that, and being able to discuss them. And hey, people might disagree. They. We might say, yes, that's true, but I still think we shouldn't host shows there. WWE shouldn't host shows there. But I think it's really important to have that conversation. And I think that's why the country's in so much trouble because people Mm -hmm. can't argue and not even argue, but debate in good faith, really listen to other points and agree to disagree sometimes. I think personally, and again, think we should get off politics but my my personal view maybe this will inflame nate or bruce is that there are elements on both sides that want to shut down speech they disagree with and i think that's not the product of a healthy society and i also think if you can't debate with someone you disagree with and defend your position you probably don't have a really a position that's been really well thought through and reasoned Mm. so i think that to me is a dangerous sign you're trying to right if someone's openly racist that's one thing but yeah. someone who's good and has good intentions isn't that way or you could say maybe they subtly are but they don't realize but still being able to have a discussion is an important thing and i think we're seeing a trend of just silencing views we don't agree with on both sides and sometimes i think it's appropriate but other times i think it's it's a rush that i don't know the, the problem is in this world no one wants someone to be offended or to be triggered. But mm. in this world, you're going to be offended and triggered by things. And it's yeah. also a skill to be able to be able to have that and then calmly push back and say, well, here's why I disagree. So, yeah. I mean, as, as a black man in America who has watched Vince McMahon's booking for over 30 years and the way he, he portrays his minority characters, I'm used to being offended, David. <laughs> uh, but I, I think, you know, again, part of the issue is not only are folks not talking and having these good faith conversations, but when you get to where do people get their news and information from? What shows, you know, what podcasts are people listening to? Nine times out of 10, you know, even for myself, it's somebody that 
generally has the same thought pattern that I do. Occasionally I'll listen. Like I, I watch Fox News from time to time and it's, it's weird to say, but it's like, it's not your daddy's Fox News. Like there was a time when I think Fox News had a little bit more credibility, uh, but now it's the Tyrus era. And, you know, I, I, the less said about that man, Tyrus, the better. Uh, but I think that, you know, you bring up post wrestling and I think John and Way would be open to, you know, that kind of discussion. Um, because to me, those are guys that one of the things I love about them is they are just genuine and they want the best for their audience. They want the best for the people that uh, work for them, uh, you know, and collaborate with them. And I think it'd be fascinating. The question would be like, what spirit would that person come in with? And I think if it was like, if it was one of the postmarks, I think we could have that conversation all day. If it's somebody coming through with, you know, this kind of, this kind of EC3 attitude, I don't know how well that would go. Oh boy. Uh, so if we can, I used to love EC3, man. If y'all go back and listen to the, review, oh, I remember oh, impacts the, 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 the whole spud feud and everything like that. that I was remember. my guy. I remember, I remember that. And it was, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. Let's never forget, you know, that even like through the darkest, darkest days uh, of TNA that I remember, I'll always forget that one episode of review and impact where way just broke down, just <laughs> broke down, lost. It was like, is anybody listening to this? Does anybody care that, Nate Milton was holding the candle, kept it going the whole way through, uh, through thick and thin. And hey, you know, Impact is in a relatively stable place now uh, for that. Um, okay, so we're talking, uh, to, to, to rewind it a little bit there, uh, about broadcasting and how that sort of yes. uh, c- comes into the fore there. Um, do you want to maybe sort of talk about, like, I mean, I, I also, by the way, the, the Raphael Belliard, I actually had my money on Mark Lemke being the mm. 1992 brave that might get mentioned in this <laughs> in this episode there um do you where does the, where do things go with broadcasting from that point you know do you like is it is it high school broadcasting mm. college that you're talking about doing it there is it just doing sports is it you know doing other sorts other types of broadcasting i found like in my own sense in my own case being thrown into just we need you to do this show or we need you to do a radio show about this something that you maybe don't have a knowledge or interest about is often very helpful in sort of getting you comfy uh, and helping you to develop your own broadcasting style. So it's been mainly sports, um, you know, started broadcasting. The first time I got paid to do a broadcast would have been my senior year of high school. Uh, and I called, I think, five football games that year, a couple basketball games, a gymnastics meet, which I had no idea. Like, <laughs> I couldn't tell you, uh, you know, the pommel horse from from the uh, uh, parallel bars, the uneven parallel bars. but. I, I was able to somehow get my way through uh, an event on gymnastics just by, and here's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm pulling back the curtain on broadcasting a little bit. A lot of it goes into poise. Poise goes a long way. Mm. Even if you don't know 100% what you're talking about, if you say it with confidence and can relate it to something that you are confident about, you can get through it. So like, you know, some girl would do a routine or, or some guy would, you know, be on the pommel horse and, and then they'd, they'd be like, Nate, what do you think about that? Well, you know, his routine kind of reminds me of when a boxer's in a ring. They start off by feeling each other out and then you start throwing the big blows. That's what we saw right there from Jimmy on the pommel horse. He came out trepidatious at first, but then he get there and, and he went through and, and, and gave him the knockout blow for that perfect 10. And it's like, <laughs> I didn't tell you a damn thing about no damn pommel horse, David. But it sounded decent. Uh, and so, you know, high, from high school, I uh, graduated, went to college, was, you know, the first thing I looked for. I wanted to go to Emerson. 
in Boston. Uh, grades weren't quite good enough to go to Emerson, but I did go to Dean College, which is uh, in Franklin. Uh, so it's about midpoint between Boston and Rhode Island. Uh, uh, Boston and what's, what's, what city was it? Providence. Midpoint between Boston and Providence. Uh, and so I did the radio there, uh, did the TV program there. Uh, when I was in Japan, I worked at the Armed Forces Cable Network and I hosted like four shows. I, I hosted a talk show called Okinawa PM. I was one of the co-hosts of Sports Talk, which was the name of our sports show, uh, the most creative name sports show in the, in, in the world. <laughs> Uh, I hosted school days, which was just me, a camera and a microphone going and talking to high school athletes or members of the drama club or, you know, whatever foundation was doing something and, you know, editing that. Um, and then there was another show I did. I can't even remember. It was, I think it was like a variety show. And I just got thrown in one day because the original host couldn't make it one night. And the, so they just threw me in there and I'm just like, Okay, here are some, uh, you know, Japanese jugglers, and they were great, weren't they? And I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do it uh, because I love doing it. And so uh, I think, you know, now I'm, I'm still calling football games for the station I started at when I was in high school, uh, which is kind of a cool thing to go back and, you know, not only get paid again to and get paid more uh, to do these games, but to kind of try to at least give a little advice to the to the kids coming up in, in the uh, in the industry. Uh, but then, you know, it's podcasting and podcasting led to voiceover work. Uh, the pandemic, as crazy as this sounds, the pandemic might have been the best time in my life when it comes to broadcasting. Like it was a terrible time for my mental health and, you know, I lost friends, as I mentioned. But for my broadcasting, that was the freest time I've had since I was in college because we were on quarantine. We were on lockdown. And so I recorded four or five nights a week. And I'm editing and I'm, you know, doing hopping on other friends podcast and, you know, Hey, let's do a live watch of Hamilton. And it was just what I love to do. And I wish I could get to a place where I can get that feeling back without having the world come to a complete standstill. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like this is something that I just love to do, man. I love to have conversations with people. I love to have conversations with my friends and, and, and other interesting folks and talk about sports and wrestling and some of the silly things in life, David, and related to like stuff that matters. And, you know, again, it, it's to me, Conan O'Brien is one of my broadcasting heroes because uh, he's like, you can be silly and smart at the same time and then throw in some heart with it. And like, that's that's my guy. So that's, that's kind of a long way of telling you that, you know, even though I, I'm not making a lot of money from broadcasting, uh, which is why I have to work 50 hours a week at the shoot job. Uh, it's something I'm going to do until the day I, I die, man, because I love Was it. Was there a time, did you want to do, how did the shoot job come about? Have you had different shoot jobs over the years? Capitalism, you, man. Well, but my, my question is, my question is, did, did you pursue um, broadcasting full time? And then, because, yeah. you know, I act and write and every day. I just think it's time to pack it in. I keep going, but it's a, it's a grind and it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. So I would just love to hear more about, in that history and why you decided this was a better fit for you. I mean, it's kind of like Isaiah Thomas in the last dance, man. Cause I did try for years to do first TV and then radio. Cause I really do still love terrestrial radio. And for a time right before the pandemic, I was guest hosting. Uh, and then I was like a co-host guest co-host for a while on the Bob Matthews show, which was a radio show, uh, that went on, uh, I think it was like it lasted like seven or eight years um, down here in Norfolk. And I was doing, you know, once first I was doing one spot a month 
And then it became one spot every other week. And then it was like three weeks out the month. And then he's like, you know what? This is starting to work. And I think maybe there's a chance that could have been like my first real shot at doing radio for a living. And then the pandemic happened. And that, and then I think Bob decided like, Hey, I don't feel like doing the show anymore. And then he, you know, moved to podcasting. Uh, and so that there went that, but it is something, David, that I've, you know, been trying to do for a while. And again, like Isaiah Thomas, like I met the qualifications, but why wasn't I picked? And it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I think if I did not love it so much, I think it would kind of drive me crazy because there's people I listen to. There's, there's people that, that, that uh, I watch. There's people that, you know, I've had conversations with and interactions with, and they're like, Oh man, like you're, you're great on the air, but then, you know, nothing comes from it. And it's like, there are people that I know I'm better than, man. Not to be cocky, not to, you know, uh, Mark Bernard, who is a great writer, and he, uh, one of the co-hosts of Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith. Mark Bernard has a slogan, be humble, but let a motherfucker know. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about broadcasting. Like, it's the only area of my life where I am supremely confident in. Everything else, like, I'm a decent boyfriend at best. I'm, I'm a pretty good son. I'm, I'm a really good uncle. I'm a, I'm a so-so brother. Uh, but, but when you put a microphone in front of me, like I turn into Michael Jordan, I turn into LeBron. Like I have that kind of confidence, whether it's earned or not. And so, yeah, there's been times where I've been like just depressed because it's like, damn, like I'm working really hard, but nothing's happening. Should I, and, and, but the thing is, I can't give it up because the only thing that would make me more miserable than doing this and not making any money is not doing this. So, like, it's not an option, David. Like, I have to do it because it's it's the line from Sister Act 2 with Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Lauren Hill when she's like, you know, you want to be a writer and uh, or, or you want to be a singer. And she tells Lauren Hill the story of, I forget the author, but it's like, if you wake up every day and think about writing, then you're a writer. If you wake up every day and, and sing, you're a singer. So, for me... I wake up every day and whether, whether it's something to do with work or, you know, my family or my friends, like in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about this would be a great topic to talk to somebody about when, the, when, when they had the uh, Alabama Avengers the other day, when they had that ridiculous brawl at the waterfront, I'm like, I want to turn on a microphone <laughs> right now and talk to somebody about this and make jokes, but then also get serious. And like, this would be great. Like that's kind of what, what fuels me. It's like, I, I, I have a need, man, to have good conversations with good people. It's, it's one of the things that brings me the most joy in life. Well, I hesitated asking that question, or I felt bad asking that question <laughs> immediately after I asked that. Because, but I think it's important for people to hear the other side of the story and what it's like to pursue a career in this. And I relate to that so much. There is such, and I've had to spend so much time separating commercial success from artistic success and personal satisfaction. I've, I have a play right now that this two-time Oscar nominee wants to do. We have a Broadway producer, Broadway director, the casting director of Glass Onion, all these things. All mm. these people believe in this. If we don't get the right actress, it's never going to happen. People have sent my scripts to all these agents. I can't get an agent. I get all these people. To, so... And to be able to decouple that sometimes you can have the talent and the ability and mm-hmm. things just cannot go your way. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If yeah. you find 
like you said, I love what I do every day. I want to quit, but I'm like, no, I like this. I'm going to keep going. And I feel like a lot of times that scene is you either only hear the story about the people who, and Hey, life is long. Who's to say you're not going to move into professional broadcasting in the future. But it's like, Oh, if this person has a shoot job, it means they couldn't hack it. Mm. They didn't have the talent. And that is a load of shit. I've seen people in this industry who are not me, especially actors, Writing, it's a little different because there's a quantifiable product that is a little more easier to judge um, impartially. But I've seen actors who I think are amazing, and I turn on the TV, I'm like, these people suck. And the actors I think amazing, I've had better careers then, and I'm like a decent actor at best. And I think there's this stigma, oh, if you have a shoot job, it means you either didn't have the dedication, Mm -hmm. you couldn't cut it, and that is a load of shit. Some... uh, Sometimes in life, you know, some people catch the break, some people don't. And that's yeah. a real thing. You can have all the talent in the world. If you don't get the right timing and opportunity, it, it's, it doesn't. So I you know, hesitated when I, set, when I asked you that. But I think it's important that we're having you know, this conversation because I think there's a lot of people out there. It's like, oh, I wanted to be a songwriter. It didn't work mm-hmm. out. That means I failed. That's, that's bullshit. And I love that you're able to say, oh, I know I'm better than people. That's like me. Right. And, and in my case, I have all these like movie stars who are like, oh, yeah, I mm-hmm. think your thing is worth it. And the decision makers, right? The yes people, yeah. they still, at the end of the day, I'm like, fuck, you know, at the end of the day, I'm able to live with the fact that I know, I know in my heart the truth. And, you know, these other people have recognized it. If the general public never sees it, fuck it. So I just love yeah. that you have that confidence. And I think it's a really important thing to talk about because there's such a stigma on it. Um, and I love that you're able to say, yeah, I know I was good enough to do it professionally and things just didn't go the right way yet, but, yeah. and, but that's Part a real that thing. thing. That's is being, you know, again, like being 45, right? Like I, I have the, I, I'm at the point of my life where, you know, I, I'm thinking about it now differently than I did at 35 or especially at 25, where it's like, you know, there, there's things that were a lot of things outside of my control in terms of. You know, did I quote unquote make it? But there's also things I could have done better, right? There's also stupid mistakes, whether based out of pride or just being youthful and ignorant, that I could have done better. Like, there was a point in my life where I would, uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Like, there's a point in my life. Like, it was literally four years ago. Like, I signed up for a uh, sportscaster's uh, talent agency kind of thing was paying this dude, uh, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm besmirching the dude because he's helped people get jobs. He just ain't helped me to get no job. Uh, but, like, I was sending them, like, 50 bucks a month, you know, because, you know, they would give you access to, like, the industry uh, classifieds. And, you know, he would uh, judge your air checks and, and judge your demo tapes and things like that. And, like, the closest I ever got to getting a job was I got a second callback from a sports radio station in Boise, Idaho. And it's like, like that. That's the and I, I, I was signed up with him for like a year or something like that. Uh, and so to me, it's like again, I feel like yes, I'm, I'm human. So there is going to be a bit of like disappointment, frustration, like feeling like for a second, it's like, am, am I not good enough? You know. But then when I look in the mirror and when I you know talk to my friends and you know again, man, John and Way is so great. Every time I turn on a post podcast and Way Ting calls me his favorite broadcaster. I didn't make any money from that comment, Bruce, but I felt like a million bucks every time I hear Waiting say that I'm his favorite broadcast. It's it's something that I think 
like, like David is sort of saying there, it's it's so ingrained within. Again, I mean, you said it right off the top with regards to the shoot job there, Nate. Capitalism, right? You know, if if you're not making X amount of money, I mean, hell, we could like you could not to open this up into a whole other tangent there, but I feel like the way that and linking it back to the politics thing, the tribalism in wrestling discourse is always mm. just like, well, who's made the most money, or well. You know, is, is who, you know, who has a bigger TV rating? Those things are all interesting and worth talking about, but they're not the only metric by which success can be measured, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can probably all name a million and one wrestling matches, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, games, you know, uh, you know, a, a million and one Atlanta Braves games or something where the team lost the larger series or lost the season uh, that year, <clears throat> 1992, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but, you know, still left an imprint and something meaningful on you apart from just, you know, did this win the Oscar? Did you win the World Series? Are you the biggest, uh, you know, name in sports entertainment uh, right now? Um, to that end, I would be fascinated to know. I, I feel as though you would have mentioned it at some point if you ever had or not. Have you just ever called a wrestling show for an independent or anything <laughs> like that, Nate? Because my God, if not, like seriously, there's, there's, there's functioning independence happening in the South right now. Like get on the fucking horn with this man. Come on. The closest I've ever come to that is uh, there was a gentleman who was a friend of a guy that I'd done some podcasts with uh, who was running uh, Indy out of New York. And he was getting, I guess, various people that were connected through his friend group to cut promos and like do promo battles. And I think this is probably about seven years ago. And I was one of the people that he was like, hey, uh, Ephraim, you know, your guy Nate's pretty good on the microphone. You know, do you think he'd be interested in, you know, cutting something for our, our little promotion? And I did that. I'd send him like two or three videos, but that was the extent of that. I talked to Kevin Kelly once on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Kevin Kelly, uh, you know, I didn't ask because that's, again, I think part of my issue, I feel like Sting sometimes where I don't, I don't play the politics in, 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 you know, I feel, cause I feel like if I'm good enough, I should be good enough and I shouldn't have to Terry Belay my way into a position. And so, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly was on and we, you know, talked to him for an hour. This was, uh, with myself, Scott Criscola and Steve Willie, who's, uh, you know, a frequent friend, uh, like he's like an adjacent, uh, postmark, uh, that good man, Steve Willie. And we talked to Kevin Kelly for about an hour. And after the, after we, you know, stopped the mics, uh, Scott was like, Hey, Kevin, you know, uh, Nate's, Nate's really good. He's got a good voice. I think, you know, he should probably be calling some wrestling. And Kevin Kelly was like, you know what? Uh, where do you live? And, you know, we, we exchanged information, whatever, whatever. And, you know, the plan was one day, you know, when Kevin Kelly was in my neck of the woods, you know, that he would, I, and this is like, I, I got love for that man, Kevin Kelly, even though like, again, politically, we might not see eye to eye on every single detail, but he said he was going to take time to, come in like like he wasn't just gonna like call a promotion and say hey give this guy uh, a tryout or whatever he was gonna come down and do uh play by play and let me do color mm. and that would kind of be like my demo reel was mm. with kevin kelly uh but again the pandemic and you know just didn't happen and so again that's not something that i like stay up nights thinking about but it's just like damn that would have been cool but you know, at least me and Kevin had that really cool interaction. And so that's that's kind of part of it, Bruce. That's kind of part of it, David, where the the joy for me is in the journey. You know, hopefully one day that journey leads to a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Hopefully I can be like Satchel Paige who finally made it to the majors mm. at 65 years old and, and was striking people out. Hopefully that's in the cards for Nate. But if not, 
you know, I've gotten to, you know, interact with people like Kevin Kelly. I've gotten to, you know, have not only a working relationship with John and Wade, but be able to call them friends, you know? And so to me, like, yeah, of course I, I'd want money, you know, like people say, I'm, I wouldn't trade this for all the money in the world. I, I would, I would, I would find some way to make my life happy with all the money in the world. But barring that, you know, I wouldn't trade this experience, man, this journey uh, that I've been going on for the last 20, 30 years with this microphone, you know, it, it's, it's not all been happiness, man. But, but every time the lights are on, I, f- I feel that, that love, man. And I think another perspective as someone who loves listening to you is that you have impacted people's lives. I remember for me, the, that play I told you about, we'll see what happens. It's been produced a lot. Mm-hmm. Some people have loved it. Other people haven't liked it. And the first time it got done, I knew it was going to get a bad review in a big paper. And I went the next day and I said, you know what? If one person enjoys this and I see their face because mm-hmm. I want to go and they don't know me, that's going to have to be enough for me. And I'm going to appreciate that. My desire to do that ended up leading to the best things that ever happened with it. But that's it's it's, I think, a really important perspective for me. I love listening to you. I mean, I mentioned this to Bruce. We chatted uh, on Saturday. I'm going through like a really bad like health thing Mm. at the moment. Uh, You know, I have like trouble sleeping, like really hard time sometimes. And the one thing that like always calms me down the most, not always because things are sometimes (laughs) been bad, but the most is post. And when I said I've listened to those three and a half hour NWA podcasts, I look forward to those. I'm like, okay, here's like three and a half. Even if I'm so stressed out, this is going to be so entertaining that I can finally take my mind off this for a little bit. When I see that you're a guest on a review show, I look forward to that. And I know there are other people like me. You podcast across a wide different range of platforms. And I think, yes, do we all want to get paid to do what we love? Absolutely. But the fact that you've taken your gift and your talent and something you're passionate about and someone like me who's sick and sometimes, to be honest, really struggling said, oh, wow, like, th- you know, thank you for giving me, you know, this thing that I really enjoy. That is its own reward. Uh, I, pre- I appreciate you saying that, man. And again, you know, I'm sending, sending all the positive energy out your way, brother. Uh, but I, I think, you know, some some of the postmarks know there was a time in my life when I was in a Christian rock band. Again, another weird tangent part of my life. There was there was a part of my life where I thought I was going to be like the next DC Talk, which is a very very specific reference that maybe a very specific part of our audience will get. Uh, but uh, the uh, lead guitarist of the band, who like he was. It's wild because he's where I am now. Like, I think he was in his late 30s, early 40s. And the rest of us were like 19, 20, 21, like just kids. And he was like, guys, you got to have three things. Uh, there, there's three things that can work for you with a job, with a career, with a, a, a hobby, anything. You have to either make money. You have to love the work that you do. Or you have to love the people you're doing it with and the people you're doing it for. You have to have two of those. Mm. So if you have two of those, you can keep going. If you've only got one of those, you know, call it quits. And for us, it was, or for me, when it comes to podcasting, it's like, I love the people I do the podcast with, and I love that connection with the audience. Uh, but it's also, I love the work, man. Like, and it's, it's a weird thing of when I'm broadcasting. Yes, I'm the still Nate. I'm still the same Nate. Uh, but 
I'm a lot more buttoned up because I have mm. to be because I'm talking on a, a public school channel. Uh, and so when I get to do podcasts, I'm a lot more freer. And one of the episodes that I vividly remember, you know, this is the 10th anniversary of the Kings of Sport. We started in 2013. Mm. The first seven episodes of that podcast, we've got them up on the uh, Patreon. Uh, speaking of finances, y'all going to go to the Kings of Sport Patreon, patreon.com backslash the Kings of Sport. The first, like, we've got, like, a bunch of the original episodes up on our Patreon. Uh, the first seven episodes, I was miserable because it was right after I'd come back from Canada. You know, one of the, again, life is crazy because from a, one standpoint, that was the biggest failure of my life. It was, like, the biggest swing. And I, you know, not only did I strike out Bruce, but the bat fell out of my hands. Like, I, I looked like an idiot, uh, you know, at least in my opinion. And, but it was also one of the best things for me. Because that was the first time I'd ever gone to therapy. That was the first time like I'd worked through some stuff that had been kind of lingering with me for a while. And I talked about it on the seventh episode of the Kings of Sport. And I got at least five or six emails or, you know, DMs after that episode came out from dudes who were just like, Yeah, like we feel this way too. But it's like, you know, ten years ago, like it's it's tough even now, Bruce, for men to talk about this kind of stuff. But ten years ago it was it was especially hard, especially if you're a person of color. Cause it's like, you know, you gotta be tough. And I had like so many dudes just like, Hey, thank you, brother. We appreciate it. You know, I've been able to talk to my wife or my girlfriend or my kids and in a different way, because I, I've been able to get help and I seeking seeking out therapy and stuff like that. And so again, man, like I, I go for, I go for two things when I'm out here shooting on these, on these podcast streets, when I'm on these podcast courts, David, I want to make you laugh. And I want to make you think. And if I can do both of those things, then then I've done my job, uh, regardless of what I get paid for that job. I think when you either find a space or you create a space where that sort of conversation can happen. And like, like you say, that's rare and that's not something that you just bump into if you're just flipping by channels on mainstream television or, you know, I don't know, going through your serious channels or on, I don't know, the Joe Rogan podcast or whatever it is. And I remember that, you know, it's it's things like that. And I think an, an ability to talk about those issues, having that sort of, you know, open and considerate mindset, that's also going to shape and affect the way that you talk about sports or you talk about wrestling mm -hmm. or whatever the actual subject matter is, where you're not necessarily going to be as hot take focused or as, you know, uh, falling into, I think, a lot of the kind of the common traps that a lot of, you know, like primetime drive time broadcasters perhaps sort of can. And yeah, you're exactly right. Like, you know, just speaking with regards to to post, like when they had Morrow on to sort of talk about, you know, his issues with mental health and sort of talking about like, yeah, this is something that ends up taking a lot of men's lives because they don't have an ability to talk about it and they do let it get the better of them and everything. That, that shit is really important. To kind of begin to wind things down then in terms of kind of finding those sorts of spaces and to, to David's point there about really enjoying uh you know your commentary i can remember when i first was coming across the law sort of thinking okay man these review away things where they're talking about the old pay-per-views and everything that's great and man that guy that they got on to talk about impact or tna at the time that guy's fucking killer i'm gonna keep coming back to this <laughs> at what point does sort of the law come into your orbit uh and and when do you sort of start contributing to it 
I mean, first of all, shout out to them days, Bruce, because that's how good. Again, not not to be cocky, I'm going to stay humble, but let a motherfucker know. That's how good I was, Bruce, even on the crappy home phone. Like, I know some some postmarks can remember the, the audio quality of John and Wade calling me in Virginia on my home phone. And we're just <laughs> recording all I, these segments. I, I remember that. And I will say, just so I want to get this in before we record, sorry to interrupt, but for, this is a fan moment for me. To be have you on a podcast person are doing, I'm so excited. When we talked about a two-year guest, Bruce, I've been talking about this for a year. Like, we should get Nate. So I remember those days. And I appreciate it, man. And again, like, so when you talk about the law, right? So again, you know, going back all the way back to the childhood roots, Bruce, being that, that nerd that gets kind of, that latches onto a thing and seeks out everything he can about that thing. So being a wrestling fan and being a fan of radio, I'm like, are there any radio wrestling shows? You know, because here's the other thing. Like, I was a really good, like, caller. caller. Like, uh, you know, I'd call into uh, Amy Lawrence on ESPN or Dan Patrick or people like that and or the local radio shows and just get my takes off. And, you know, that was fun. Uh, and so I'm like, is there, are there any radio shows? And so the first one I found, uh, I want to say it was Between the Ropes. Uh, and I would listen to them, you know, when I'd get in from work and, you know, I'd call in occasionally. Uh, and then for whatever reason, they decided not to keep going. And so now there's a void, David, there's a void of my routine. And so I'm looking around, looking around, looking around, lo and behold, uh, like a bright shining star in the sky. There was this, this, uh, station in Toronto, which, which had this program called live audio wrestling. And I would listen and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is good. This is going to be my new show. And so, you know, I'd call in from time to time. I uh, had a good rapport with Mouth and, and Jay and, and, of course, John and Way. And then from there, you know, the, the, the Law Facebook group or uh, mm. Facebook page, John Pollock and I would have many, many a battle, uh, many, many a crucial conflict, uh, a, a clash of the titans, if you will, about the state of Impact Wrestling, TNA. And from there, John was just like, huh. He didn't even know I was a broadcaster. You're just like, you know, we'll bring this guy on. He seems very passionate, but he can also argue with me in a way that's good faith. And we, you know, it's not me yelling at him or him, you know, just having to block me because I'm an insufferable fan. And so then, you know, just doing those shows with John and Way, I met them in person uh, when I went up to Canada uh, in 2013. And they're just good dudes, man. And so spin that forward to the 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 post uh the post law era of and you've got my guys on their own and it was just like it wasn't even a a choice you know i didn't even have to think twice about it when they were like you know they extended the uh invitation to me and brian mann to join them like wherever you like i'm I'm sam wilson looking at steve rogers like i do what he does just slower uh because i i have so much respect and uh love for those guys uh and so from there you know, me and Brian had a good little run doing a bunch of various shows. And Brian, man, again, is another Keeping guy. it 2000. Brian is one of the most creative people. Yeah. He, and I, I don't want this to sound negative because I love Brian, man. I love my brother, Brian, man. But Brian, man, me and Brian, man, we were the perfect team because I think Brian needed somebody with my temperament to kind of vibe with Brian's like just manic energy when it comes to production and doing these shows and he needed he needed like the calm presence of of nate milton and we we clicked so well and i miss doing shows with brian man uh but uh 
Then we get to Rocky Mountain Picture Show. We get to a bunch of stuff. You know, John has me on guesting on, you know, review of Raws, uh, or Rewind of Raws, or Rewind of Smackdowns, whenever one of the guys is out. Um, and then the NWA podcast, we did that on post-podcast day. And this is where my respect for these guys kind of went through the roof. Because it's one thing to have me on your network as like one of your, like like one of the post-Avengers, uh, as Rich Fan has called us. But then it's another thing to give me the ball, me and Chris and Andrew, and say, hey, you three black guys talk about pro wrestling from a black perspective, an unapologetically black perspective, and they trusted us to do it in a way that wouldn't alienate people. And I think for the most part, we've accomplished that. Uh, but like for them to be so generous with their platform, that is one of the things I am uh, always impressed about when you talk about John Pollock and Wade Team, because like they they could they have every right to be like no we built this we created this all these shows are going to go our way but the freedom and latitude they give people like me and Chris and Andrew and uh you know Braden and Davey and Kate and like WH Park like the whole crew like they're they are some of the best people that I've worked with in the the kind of broadcasting space and i think in particular the NWA show works so well because well one it is like you said it's it's all being done in good faith but also i think the the generational or age mm. differences the regional differences the experiential differences between the three of you produce this really like often very you know like there there are differences and there are you know clashes and again hey if we're talking about calming influences or whatever it is you know you are perhaps that calming influence on mimosa chris of course um <laughs> but but it comes across as just such a like active but like you said good faith sort of conversation it's something that when i started listening to it i was like wow this is not only is it like okay yeah but you know like you know nate's knowledge of like southern wrestling going back decades is great and everything like that but this is sort of underlining or highlighting various elements of how race operates within the business mm -hmm. that okay i'm aware of some of those and i've noticed some of those things but there's plenty of stuff that you guys have talked about that i've just sort of gone oh Oh, right. There's no, yeah, I never would have clocked that on my own, but yes, now that they're pointing that out, shit, there, there are, there were only five types of wrestlers that, you know, you could be in the <laughs> 1980s and everything like that. God, it, it works. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's become just such, such an invaluable part of, of the broader, uh, post ecosystem. And like you said, I do think it is like, it's, it's unique in that regard. And again, you know, it, it speaks to the, you know the 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 the, the latitude that, that that John and Way have offered, but it also speaks, I think, to the fact that like you guys had this idea for this thing, you're running with it, you're coming to it, uh, and, and and you know just putting it out there uh, on the regular, and I think really just improving uh, the tenor and temperament of this conversation when it comes to race in in the business, and it's just such an important. I, I've sent it, I have a handful of like you know uh, like black wrestling fan friends and i'm just like please you gotta you gotta check this out you know uh so so yeah it, it's just such a been such a wonderful uh addition to the whole the whole ecosystem i appreciate that man i think again the 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 pandemic era if, if we can call it that man it there's two sides to every coin you know and as much as so many people's lives were affected like all of our lives were affected but some, you know, deeper than others. Um, there was also this freedom in the pandemic. There was also this sense of community where 
And, I, you know, we talked about this with uh, Righteous Reg, who is on Grapsity and uh, who did our theme song for the NWA podcast. And with Rich Fan, you know, it's like you it's not like there weren't black voices in this space. It's just they were kind of all separate and scattered yeah. and not amplified. And so over the course of the pandemic, you had this thing where Rich Fan, who has been doing great work with the torch for years, starts to get more of a presence. You get, you know, Grapsity and Fightful and, and you know, they, they get they get platform. You have us on post and, you know, John Pollock and waiting again. Like we were doing our thing on the Kings of Sport podcast, you know, with the NWA podcast. But that was kind of just our lane. And then when you magnify that by putting it on post, there's so many more ears that can be, you know, here there's so many more minds that can hear, you know, kind of our thoughts. And so it was just this, this spring of creativity. And I missed that. And that's, again, like I wish there was a way to get back to that without having a life-threatening disease affect us all. Because like I, I wish, I think that's one of my only regrets right mm-hmm. now is that I wish I had more time. You know, you talk about the generational aspect of the show. I wish I had more time to just talk with Andrew Thompson on a regular basis, whether mm-hmm. it's on a microphone or not, because I have the the utmost respect for the nephew. Like, I think that kid is great. He's hardworking. Uh, like, he's he's just a good dude. And I wish I could just, like, spend two hours out of my week, like, you know, you know 30 minutes here or 30 minutes there, and just talk to Andrew. And like, you know, check in with them and like, you know, give them some, you know, maybe tips, like learn from my mistakes, young Padawan. Like I wish <laughs> I could spend time with Andrew more. I wish I could spend time with Chris more. I wish I could do more stuff with John and Way and, and WH. Uh, you know, I I wish so much that I had more time. Uh, but you know, we we do uh what we can with what we have. And so, you know, like I I, I love that people have responded to the NWA podcast. Uh and and it's it's uh, one of the one of the surprises of, of, of my broadcasting career, honestly, because I didn't know. Chris Chris knew. Chris, Chris was like, oh, people are going to love this. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, dog. <laughs> I don't know. But, but people have, you know, again, for the most part, have, have uh, vibed with us and understood that we're coming from our perspective as, as black fans and, and uh, black journalists and people that cover this stuff. And, and, you know, we, we are not doing an exclusive show. We're doing an inclusive show mm-hmm. where even if you're not black, you know, you can be, you can, you can come to the cookout as long as your name's <laughs> not Terry Balea. The evaluation of who is in and who is out of the cookout. <laughs> I look, look forward to it every episode, but yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, an endeavor like this one, like postmarks is also kind of one of those places where, like you said, you can just sort of come together and just hash it out and talk with the other people, you know, uh, who've kind of become, uh, part of the larger family. That was, you know, David's goal when he first sort of pitched the idea, uh, to me low those two years ago. And here mm. we are, uh, I think hopefully, you know, kind of shedding a little what a bit wrap of like, up, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're stepping on it, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, a few of the other kind of the missing links, the the the, the kind of the shadowy, you know, uh, what if corners uh, of Nate Milton's life. Some light has been shed on those, uh, and a fuller picture of, like we said, the the, the man that we all know and love uh, and have done so for low these many years uh, has been yielded through this episode. Uh, Nate, thanks so much for coming on and agreeing. To to do this is there anything that you specifically want to want to shout out or plug uh so first of all you know congratulations fellas you know two years is nothing to sneeze at man and then i've like i said i'm i'm not only uh 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 a person joining the conversation this week but i've been a listener of you guys 
uh, oh, on this program and listening to more about people that like some people like Chris, who like I've known Chris for, for damn near a decade. Like that's my guy. So I, I knew Chris, but it was kind of interesting to hear uh, Chris talk a little bit more about his life. Uh, but people that I don't really interact with much and I wish I interacted with more, you know, people like Karen Peterson. Like, I think Karen mm-hmm. Peterson is dope. We've never had a chance to get on the track together, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen one of these days and it's going to be great. Um, like I'm, there's so many people that I love in this community that I, I miss, man. Like I miss Braden and Dave. Those are my white nephews, the, my, my wefews. Uh, every time I got on a track with the BDE boys, like the time Braden and I watched Hamilton, <laughs> that to me was one of my favorite shows because it's like, neither one of us are qualified to review this, but we had so much fun with it. Uh, and I think, you know, just kind of, Giving, giving you guys a thesis statement upon your thesis statement, that's one of the great things about post-wrestling is that John Pollock and Wei Ting have cultivated this community where it's, it's, it's so inclusive, man, and not in the, you know, PC, like, like uh, corporate way of being inclusive. All of this has been a natural evolution. Yeah. In terms of the people they bring on, and then the people that they, the people that they brought on bring on other people. It's like the world's most beautiful and helpful and uh beneficial pyramid scheme right <laughs> like it's, it's like it's like john pollock and wade came up with the world's most positive pyramid scheme we're not trying to take anybody's money although y'all should all sign up for the uh, cafe uh but we all like love this one thing professional wrestling and we use that as the springboard for these conversations and these connections and these collaborations. So uh, that's a long way of saying, uh, you know, congratulations on two years and, you know, big tip of the cap to John Pollock and Wade Tink. Without, without those boys, uh, you know, none of this is possible. Uh, but for more from me, uh, you know, you can check me out on a myriad of platforms. Uh, I do want to take this moment to uh, gloat and tell uh, Bruce and David, like the, the folly, the, the, the folly of you boys. Thinking, thinking you were going to contain this to an hour. Come on, fellas. <laughs> have, have you not heard me before? Do you not know what I do? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think the easiest way to get through all these plugs is Post Wrestling is the number one place you can find me. Uh, NWA Podcast. Rocky Mavia Picture Show, which is on hiatus. You never know when it could come back. It could come back next week. It could come back two years from now. But as long as I don't say it's canceled, David, it's still out there. It's Schrodinger's podcast. Uh, the Kings of Sport is, uh, you know, my my home. You know, it's something Marcus Vandenberg and I started 10 years ago, and now Chris has stepped into Marcus's shoes. We've, we've brought on a producer of sorts, uh, Ray Williams, Rookie Ray, who some of y'all have heard on the NWA podcast. And so, that's, again, my goal for the rest of this year is to try to find some kind of balance between work life and doing this thing that I love because I want to give more time to the Kings of sport. I feel like it's this child that me and Marcus had and, you know, Marcus left the family. Uh, now I'm making Marcus sound like he went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I'm like the struggling, I was the struggling single parent that couldn't, you know, provide for the child, but now I brought in Chris, new stepdaddy. Uh, this, this whole thing is getting weird. This analogy is getting <laughs> off the rails here, fellas. Uh, but Kings of sport, check us out. Kings we have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash the Kings of Sport. Five bucks gets you in the door for over 200 hours of audio and video talking about sports, politics, pro wrestling, pop culture. We've got MCU reviews. That Hamilton Watch Along is on there. Uh, there's actually uh, the Keep It 100 
archives up there. I don't know if anybody uh. remembers the show Brian Mann and I did, Keep It 100, the most overproduced in a good way wrestling show ever. I love that show. I feel like it was it was ahead of its time in a way because I feel like that show, if we drop that in 2023, people would be like, okay, this is kind of like a little vice-ish. It's, you know, they're telling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, we was ahead of the time. We was ahead of the curve. Bruce, people wasn't ready for what uh, Milton and Mann, the bromans, had to bring to them. Uh, but for everything else, follow me on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. Uh, at in the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K, at Nate Mosaic. Uh, and again, Bruce and David, thank y'all for for the time. It, this was a good conversation, fellas. You guys do good work. And, and uh, you know, David, if I can leave you with one parting word. First, well, two parting words. Uh, number one, uh, you know, uh, keep fighting, brother. Hope you feel better. But number two, Wakanda forever. 